0: The idea of a designated driver is fairly simple. One person in a group is designated to not drink and drive his or her companions home at the end of the night. Easy in concept, but apparently a little tougher in real life. With a look, here's Infotrax Roy Mackey. Roy? Thanks, Chris. We're talking with Adam Berry, an assistant professor of
1: health education and behavior at the University of Florida in Gainesville. So you were studying designated drivers and came up with some pretty shocking results. Tell us what you were studying.
2: Basically, what we were doing is trying to assess whether or not designated drivers were consuming alcohol. So what we did is we set out on six distinct Friday evenings from between 10 p.m. to 2.30 a.m. We did what we call intercept interviews stop people as they were leaving bars and on the public sidewalks outside of bars and restaurants. Then we gave them a real quick kind of structured interview. And then after that, we breathalyzed them using the same equipment that you'd find that a police officer would use should anyone be pulled over.
1: And tell us about the results, because they're pretty shocking.
2: Basically, what we found is that about 35% of designated drivers had been drinking. Of that group, half of them fell between 0.02 and 0.049 with blood alcohol concentration. And the second half of that group, about 18%, fell at 0.05 blood alcohol concentration or higher. And actually, the average BAC of the group that was at 0.05 or higher was 009
1: And just for a reference point, legal in most states is .08, is that right?
2: Yes, currently in the United States we have a legal limit of .08, but keep in mind we're actually at the higher end of the spectrum on most developed countries. Places like Australia, Greece, Germany, Italy, Spain, they have legal limits of .05, and places like Russia actually have legal limits of .02, while countries such as Japan, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, they actually have blood alcohol concentrations of uh, zero that are allowable.
1: So were you surprised by what you found?
2: You know, we went in without any real expectation. I guess the hope inside of you is that designated drivers would have abstain from alcohol use. So I guess we were a little surprised, especially considering that they were exhibiting levels at which impairment was evident.
1: And I can just picture in my mind's eye, though, a typical designated driver college student who might think, hey, I could have one or two drinks and I'll still be fine.
2: Oh, sure. And I think a lot of people probably have that conception that, you know, I can have a few drinks and I'll be just okay. And, you know, that's just a really slippery slope. And that's the reason we really recommend that if you're going to drive, make sure that you don't drink at all. As you know, alcohol is a pretty insidious substance, so as someone drinks, their inhibitions are lowered. One drink might become two, two might become three. And so we really caution against any consumption if you're driving.
1: Why do you think that designated driver campaigns have obviously not been so successful?
2: You know, it's probably hard to pinpoint one reason in particular why a designated driver campaign wouldn't be effective right now. It could be that people aren't talking to one another prior to drinking. It could be that a group of friends aren't deciding, okay, who is going to be the designated driver tonight. It could also be that people think it's okay to have a few drinks while they're the designated driver. There's probably a lot of reasons out there why designated drivers might be drinking.
1: Now, there has been some, I don't know, criticism is the right word, I guess, discussion about your study in terms of the subjects of it. It was mostly college kids at a peak drinking time. Do you plan to do more research? Do you think that this would basically translate to to, you know, anywhere in America.
2: Yeah, you know, criticisms that we're getting on the study are probably criticisms you could aim at most studies. It's really hard to get nationally represented samples, especially when you consider the methods we were using. So yeah, definitely more research is warranted. We need to sort of uh, replicate this study in different areas, geographic areas, with even different samples, maybe even at different times. More research is warranted, but I think the findings are still rather interesting and have some important policy implications.
1: So based upon what you learned in this study, what advice do you think parents should be passing along to their college kids?
2: There's really two take-home points in my mind. The first is that as blood alcohol concentration rises, so does risk of being involved in a fatal alcohol-related traffic crash. And that's especially true for your younger drivers. And I think the second take-home point is that the only real safe and responsible option is to abstain from drinking if you're the designated driver.
1: Adam Berry, an assistant professor of health education and behavior at the University of Florida in Gainesville. Is there a place where people can learn more about this study?
2: The study is available online. You can find that through the journal, and that's the Journal of Studies of Alcohol and Drugs. And you can just Google that, and it should come up in their current issue.
1: Well, thank you very much for joining us on InfoTrack.
2: Thanks so much for your time.
0: And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. InfoTrack is a production of Syndication Networks of Chicago. Internet services provided by Pair.com, the home of world-class web hosting. Special thanks this week to InfoTrack reporters Gina Tedesco and Roy Mackey, and our executive producer, Randy Meyer. I'm Chris Whitting, inviting you to join us next time on another edition of InfoTrack. InfoTrack.